2: you got the notion but I swear it was
1: not self defense the I was cash and Johnny Rivers and now I got the shivers. he did say This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. This is the Decibel
3: Geek Podcast, the year is 1974. I'm Aaron Camaro, there's Chris Sinzak, and we are more than happy to rock and roll you back in time once again today. How's it going? It's going fantastic, man. I'm so excited. We're back for 1974 part two. So much good music came out this year, and now we're getting into the second half of it.
0: Yeah, it's like a disco inferno in here. It's an
3: inferno in here, all right. No I, disco, don't know. Though, I don't right? know about disco.
0: We'll put the disco on the side.
3: Okay, Good. So keep it there.
0: We took a week off in between to do a cool interview with our friend Greg Mangus last week. But we also wanted to put in the work and get get all of our facts straight and uh, some cool information and spend some cool tunes for you today. That's the thing about the year in reviews,
3: especially the fact that, you know, you really have to know your stuff. Because we can't just come off as a couple of idiots going, yeah, that was cool and this was cool and that was awesome. and it sucked. You know, now we can't do that all the time. So right. when, when we do year reviews, we really try to do right by you guys, make it yeah.
0: educational and entertaining at the same time. And we got a lot of facts, pop culture, songs, and news stories for this uh, thing. And of course, classic commercials, as always. Heck yeah. But a uh, special uh, thing that Aaron's going to kick off the show with. Holy this moly.
3: Week. This is, oh, man. You guys get ready to have your minds blown by what could quite possibly be the greatest iTunes review Of all time. It's possible. Obviously, I'm telling you about it because it's five stars. It came to us from Chief Broken Arrow from right here in the USA, and it goes a little something. Better get a breath for this one.
0: I'm going to have a beer.
3: Like this. I sure know something. If you want to rock and roll all night and feel like a hooligan on a rocket ride, I want you to listen to the Decibel Geek. Decibel Geek is not for the innocent. And they shock me every episode. They have cool segments like Radio Sucks, Year in Review, and of course my favorite, Kissmas in July. I love it loud, and I will be there for every episode. I hope it never goes away. Take a swig of cold gin and raise your glasses to Chris and Aaron. Chris, the god of thunder. Aaron, the king of the nighttime world, our killer, larger-than-life hosts. They have charisma, And the magic touch that makes for terrific podcast hosts. And you know they do it all for the love of rock and roll. Other podcasts make me feel like I'm somewhere between heaven and hell. (laughs) And I feel a little unholy, like the devil is me. So when I feel like heaven's on fire and all hell's breaking loose, I crank Decibel Geek and they drag me out of that rock and roll hell and make me feel like an all-American man again. This is genius. Whether you are a freak, almost human, young and wasted, secretly cruel, or even a good girl gone bad who is murdering high heels, (laughs) after you listen to Decibel Geek, you will say yeah, and give me more. You will stand up, put your hand on your heart of chrome, and scream, I pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll. I told all my crazy friends, Little Caesar, Mr. Blackwell, and Mr. Speed, (laughs) about Decibel Geek, and now they know what makes the world go round. Decibel Geek gives them a reason to live and makes them cry out, I'm alive. I confess, I even got my wife to listen to Decibel Geek. i do anything for my baby and love her all I can. So one night I told her to listen to Decibel Geek, and she said she had great expectations for the podcast and told me that tomorrow and tonight, while the city sleeps, She would listen. The next morning, she exclaimed that Decibel Geek gave her thrills in the night. She looked at me and she said, you're all that I want. Come on and love me. She's so European, I replied. I was made for loving you. Then she kissed me. Ah, kissing time. (laughs) I felt like the king of the mountain. So tell everyone rocking in the USA about Decibel Geek. Shout it out loud to all the creatures of the night having crazy, crazy nights. Tell the flaming youth in the naked city that Chris and Aaron are the best. Tell all the ladies in waiting in the ladies room, Shandy, Beth, (laughs) even that modern day Delilah, Christine 16, that Decibel Geek is hotter than hell. Anyway you slice it, Decibel Geek is out of this world and a million to one. So give them a listen. You got nothing to lose. I hope this podcast lasts forever or at least 100,000 years.
0: Mic drop. Boom. That's amazing.
3: I'm telling you, that may be the greatest iTunes review ever left <laughs> for anything.
0: It's certainly my favorite of all time. Wow. That is so cool. Chief Broken Arrow all hail the chief as i say we bow down to you for your itunes review that was freaking incredible.
3: awesome get in Love touch it.
0: with us on facebook i want to know who you really are yeah, yeah
3: man that's great yeah
0: seriously that is that's an amazing itunes review all right so now the challenge is out there top that
3: yeah no kidding <laughs> Okay, so fantastic, man. What a great way to start the show, and a great way to continue it is to acknowledge our people. There are people out there in the streets spreading the word about Decibel Geek Podcast.
0: Basically, if you want to be a Geek of the Week, if you're new to the show, share on Facebook or retweet on Twitter the link that we post to this episode. Do that, and I'll mention your name on the show next week. It's as simple as that. I'll make you famous, or at least podcast famous. Uh, people that shared last week's episode with Greg Mangus, that was such a fun talk. Had yeah, so many great stories, and I uh, look forward to having Greg back on again yeah. with that bottle of whiskey.
3: Heck yeah, we're looking forward to it.
0: All right, so Geeks of the Week this week are Anthony Visconti, Joe Lascon, Joe Mama's Wrestling Podcast, Aaron Baker, Brent Tibbetts, Paul Corn, Brent Cattell, Brad Schick, Paul Watson, Wayne Cross, Shane Aber, Anthony Britt, Mark Alden-Taylor, Adam Cox, Brad, Brian Knapp, Andrew Jacobs, Mikel Burrell, Trevor McDougal, Greg McGlone, Tom Smoke, Ernesto Aguiar, Daniel Lee, and the TJE Podcast.
3: Heck yeah. Those are our people helping us spread the word. All you got to do to become a Geek of the Week is retweet or share when we post this one, 1974 Part 2. Get out there, share it, retweet it, and then next week, you become a Geek of the Week. We love you for it. It's a beautiful thing. Are you ready to go back to 74 right now? I got my bell bottoms on. Let's go. You sure do, and they look fantastic. Awesome. Let's start things out this week with the births and the deaths of 1974. So these are the most famous ones that I could come up with. Okay. For deaths in 1974,
0: Mama Cass. Uh, Not from a chicken bone or a ham sandwich. That's one of the most tasteless. Yeah, that's that's like it's urban the celebrity liners I ever did for the show. Do you remember that one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't put it in right here. But you're going to say that it's, that it's not real.
3: Tasteless. It's not good So that's either. not
0: how it went down.
3: No, she didn't die. I mean, that's crazy to me because this whole time before I, we did the uh, the research for this, I had no idea. I always assumed that she choked on a chicken bone. That's what I thought. And then they said that the, the, the rumor was actually ham sandwich, but neither won the case. What was it? Heart attack. Just a heart attack. No, yeah, just had a heart attack and died.
0: She may have eaten a ham sandwich earlier in the day.
3: Well, that may be. And a chicken bone. And a
0: chicken bone. She would eat a chicken <laughs> oh, bone. Oh, I hope man. not.
3: Uh, in either case, you know. speaking of food, uh also passed away in 1974, Tim Horton. The coffee guy. Not the coffee guy, the restaurant guy.
0: Isn't it? Tim Horton's a fam- famous coffee chain in Canada, right?
3: But I thought it was also like a restaurant in the United States.
2: Mm.
0: The only Tim Horton's I know of is the Canadian coffee chain.
3: Okay, well maybe that's what it is, but he was also a famous hockey player. Oh, was he? And he was still playing hockey when he died in 1974 in a car accident.
0: See, I didn't know he was a So all player. that
3: really took off after him, but the name lives on. Tim Hortons, most people know about it. They're like the Canadian Starbucks. Me. Yeah, right on. Well, there you guys go. Don't you know?
0: A lot of Canadian listeners let us know. What do you think of Tim Hortons? Um, also passed away in 1974, Buford Pusser. Oh, walking tall. Yeah.
3: Uh, Duke Ellington dies in 1974. Yep. If nothing else, he should be remembered for having one of the coolest names ever. It is a cool name. Duke Ellington. I would just say that to somebody and be like, we don't want to fight you. Why? Panties
0: would drop the minute you yeah, say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah.
3: Panties would drop. People that wanted to beat you up would run away. Yeah. Duke Ellington. And of course, in 1974, we also lost Ed Sullivan.
0: That's true, which is a
3: huge part of music history, you know. Because kind
0: of young, didn't he?
3: Yeah, he did. Yeah, before his time. So then that brings us to births of 1974. You know, we got the ladies like Jewel and Little Kim and Alanis Morissette and (laughs) not so hot, Sporty Spice. Yeah, 74 is kind of tough. In sports, guys, we got the juniors. We got Dale Earnhardt Jr., Ray Mysterio Jr. <laughs> Both born in nineteen seventy four. Always a wrestling type. Uh Derek Jeter, Kimbo Slice, actors. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio and Christian Bale. Pretty good actors. Better actors? David Faustino and and Seth Green.
0: David Faustino.
3: Man, David Faustino is way better actor than Leonardo DiCaprio and should be getting way better roles than that guy, I think.
0: Delusional, party of one, your table's ready. Bud freaking Bundy, man. I like Bud Bundy, but let's not put him up in Academy Award. Okay,
3: well, here's one for you. In rock and roll births of 1974, Chad Kroger... (laughs) From Nickelback. Yeah, I saw that. Was born in 74, but to counter that in rock and roll, born in 1974, Ian Wadley. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Ian Wadley, born in 1974. I'll take
0: Ian Wadley over Chad Kroger any day.
3: Cancels out Chad Kroger. The beauty of it all. So, I guess it's time to get into (laughs) the rock and roll of 1974. So, I'm going to start things off this week and tell you about a band that is a little bit past their prime in 1974. Their heyday is a little ways behind them. Mm. Now, by this time, this band I'm talking about they're Mountain. We've yeah. talked about Mountain before. They've gone through numerous lineup changes and even broken up once already. But they're back in 74, the return of their longtime drummer, Corky Lang. He replaces Alan Schwartzberg.
0: Oh, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Big kiss
3: tie. There's your first kiss tie into the show right there, Alan Schwartzberg. You kiss fans know him. Although it's not Mountain's most popular album, it still has some pretty great tracks on it. Album that features the guitar playing of Dave Perry and I mean that dude is pretty rockin I don't know how many people have heard of him but this album his guitar playing is pretty awesome on it. Um, 1974's Avalanche would be Mountain's last album for 11 years. Really? Yeah, that was this was the down of Mountain. Yeah. You know, they had because Mountain came out strong because yeah. their debut album had Mississippi Queen on it. Oh, so they were, they were firing on that first yeah. album, and then it was but just kind of really repeated. it. No, it was just kind of downhill from good, there.
0: They would have good songs, but not necessarily grateful albums. And this right. one is no exception because
3: right because there is some kind of well, funny stuff on this album. There's covers on here. Yeah, like, Rolling Stones covers.
0: Well, the thing. <laughs> I I sent you my initial list of songs, which yeah. had a mountain song on there, and then thumb you sucker. sent back yeah I I wanted thumb it, sucker, and then you stole it. But it was it. too late. But I, I, I love I'd already sucker, done the research. And I love you better believe it. Yeah. But it's got stuff on there where like even the covers are weak compared to. The, the right original originals, this, the originals. Yeah. So like
3: it, if you're going to do a cover of yeah. a band you got to try to outdo it, it yeah. know, blow it away and make it your own but yeah it's just yeah they were a little lost at that mountain point. was having a tough time in 1974 and were are on their way pretty much out i only think they came out with like two more albums after yeah, that that so. but they're, west, they're always like 10 years in between
0: leslie west is a killer guitar player
3: you want a quick fun fact about mountain before we move on yeah over the years both noel redding famous from Jimi hendrix yeah. and richie Scarlet, famous from the ace fraley band mm-hmm. have both been members of mountain no kidding over the years i did you not know.
0: know that look it up people well, although they've been touring the entire time so yeah, yeah that makes sense
3: in different versions
0: okay so a really interesting music festival took place on july 19th through the 21st oh
3: man to be there
0: listen this is, i gotta read this thank you wikipedia because i otherwise i never would have gotten all these facts um, the ozark music festival took place
3: oh man one of the greatest of all time it's one
0: of the largest music festivals in history it took place on the missouri state fairgrounds in Sede, missouri and i know exactly where that is yeah. used to live in missouri um it's out in the middle of fucking nowhere yeah because that's just a little bitty town right it's real small
3: yeah 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 it got bombarded
0: From Kansas City, promote it's like it's basically farmland, is what it is. Yeah, promoted the festival, assured officials from the Missouri Department of Agriculture and the Sedalia Chamber of Commerce that the three day weekend event would be a bluegrass and pop rock festival with no more than 50,000 tickets sold. Ha ha ha, wrong. Even though the festival was not scheduled to start until Friday, July 19th, thousands had arrived by Thursday night, and there was a steady line of cars, trucks, vans, hitchhikers, and even an occasional hippie camper slowly winding towards Sedalia and the fairgrounds. Oh,
3: man, those poor people in that, <laughs> in that little country town.
0: While in line, festival goers were advised once inside the grounds, vehicles would not be allowed back outside the festival until the festival was over. Many left a vehicle outside the fence for beer runs. yeah. Wolfman Jack, the beloved DJ, heard about the size of the crowd and flew in from Chicago by helicopter. Nice. Some estimates put the attendance at 350,000 people. Holy
3: shit, that's 300,000 more than they expected. Over a quarter of a
0: million people in Sedalia, Missouri.
3: Put the lineup, man. The lineup.
0: Okay, the, and this is just a part of the lineup. Includes Aerosmith, BTO, Ted yeah. Nugent, the Eagles, Leonard Skinner, Bob Seger, Joe Walsh, the Ozark Mountain, Daredevils, Jefferson Starship and Ario Speedwagon.
3: And that's just the tip of the iceberg because this was a three day weekend. Yeah, there's tons of there's beautiful. there's videos on YouTube of this Is where there? they go back and show because I watched some of this like gearing it's like home up for movies this and stuff. home movies and news reports and just insanity. If you can imagine just a little bitty farm town, yeah. which I can easily imagine because I pretty much grew up in one. Yeah. And then have a concert set up where, like, almost, you know, like you said, so many people. Oh, if you
0: drive to Sedalia, you'll be like, that happened here? Right. What the fuck? Like, yeah. there
3: was more people than there were acreage there, oh, you know? Yeah. So there was no way. And they said it was the greatest disaster ever. The town was pissed because the whole town pretty much got re- destroyed.
0: Oh, had to have you know, that
3: many people. It was just a fiasco. And to this day in Sedalia, they say it's the worst natural, di- well, kind of natural oh, disaster a... that ever happened in that town.
0: Yeah, it must have been a complete mess after it was over with. Like, no tornado
3: or anything <laughs> like that could ever touch the... The damage of the Ozark Music Festival, and that was but,
0: just the Aerosmith backstage area.
3: But man, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but man, to be there for that, I would take being there over that, Woodstock any day. That's a time seventy four.
0: That in California Jam. Oh yeah, awesome. Which we concerts. talked about on the last episode. Yeah,
3: awesome concerts in seventy four. Best festivals were amazing back in those days. Yeah.
0: So July 29th was kind of a landmark thing if you're a. Rush fan, Neil Peart, officially joins the band.
3: Yeah, it changes the whole trajectory of what Rush was and what they would become.
0: I gotta say, although you and I both prefer that first album because it's more straight-ahead hard rock, if you really look at Rush, had they continued that route... They probably would have been a middle-of-the-pack hard rock band.
3: Right in there with, like, REO Speedwagon and the Neil Peart made them unique guys. and made yeah. them prog
0: rock legends, basically. Right. So, sure. I mean, it was the right
3: move. Oh, absolutely it was. Yeah. yeah, totally. All right, you know, talking about more bands, you know, on August, like, brings us into August, uh, Joan Jett meets Kim Fowley, and they form the Runaways. Yep. And also in August of 74, the Ramones are performing their first show at CBGB's. Yep,
0: August 16th. So, man, 74,
3: what a year. All kinds of cool stuff going on.
0: Very cool. I have an eclectic mix of stuff because, uh, you know, some of this stuff is, like, amazing songs that I love. And also there's good stories behind some of these picks, too. And that's the case with this one. Uh, T-Rex, I respect. I respect Mark Boland for his place in music, mm-hmm. and I do like a, a number of songs, but I never would really count myself as a diehard T-Rex fan.
3: No, but man, he had some good hooks and some good He riffs. knew how to write.
0: Yeah. and um, So, 74 was an interesting year for Mark and T-Rex, because he put out Light of Love in August. I don't know the exact date, but um, it's the it's a U.S.-only album that was released by them in 74. Why that's weird. You would think T-Rex would be huger in the U.K. at this well, point. We'll, this time. we'll get to that. It's it's composed of three tracks previously unreleased in the UK on the album that came out before earlier in the year called Zinc Alloy and the Hidden Writers of Tomorrow. Uh, okay. Mark Bowen was no- known for really simple song uh, album titles, uh, together with eight songs that were recorded in the spring of 74 in uh, Music Recorders Inc. Studios in Hollywood. And those would later appear on the next album, which was called Bowen's Zip Gun, which that album is really good. The album was engineered by Gary Ulmer who was in place of the absent Tony Visconti, who actually had done all of T-Rex's stuff up to that point. And it was produced by Mark Bolin himself. Um, The newly recorded songs were licensed by Neil Bogart, who had just set up his Casablanca label. Yeah. Together with Teenage Dream, Explosive Mouth, and Venus Loon from the Zinc Alloy album, Um, Despite considerable publicity in a U.S. tour, Light of Love did not chart in the United States. Oh, wow. The reasons are disputed, but it permanently ended Mark Bowen's attempts to gain stardom in the U.S. pop market. By this point, Mark Bowen's USA record label Reprise Records had dropped him, and he had much difficulty finding a new label to sign him, but eventually signed to Casablanca. However, Casablanca was going bankrupt around the same time and couldn't find a label to sign him, resulting in this being the last album of the bands to be released in the United States. interesting to note that uh, Casablanca was going bankrupt in 74 around this yeah. time, which if you're a KISS fan, you know You why. know that, yeah. Because <laughs> they were dumping loads of money into KISS. Right. It was not selling records at the time.
3: Which is such a beautiful thing from a KISS fan point yeah. of view, because you know that it really, truly came from a belief you know belief in kiss where you said you know yeah we tried with t-rex it didn't quite work but we're not giving up on Kiss. you know we know kiss is gonna break
0: well and there was also the story if if you're a kiss fan you know this they put all their eggs in a basket of a johnny carson vinyl album they did right uh, something like here's johnny moments from the tonight show where they thought that playing audio clips from a tv show would be a great idea Maybe,
3: he, maybe in 2016 and call it a podcast. Yeah,
0: but the album completely stiffed and just about put Casablanca underground. Hmm. So that that album was out around the time that this happened. So it's just, I like that Kiss tie-in because they were yeah, trying huh? to help Mark Boland kind of revive his career at the same time, but they had no money left.
3: And again, it shows the divide in 1974 over what's cool in the States versus what's cool in the UK and Europe. It's two very, very different things. Where T-Rex in Europe perfect you know they're a glam band everybody's digging that stuff over there yeah but then you got the the like southern rock classic rock bands as we call them today time, in the really. states that you know the uk don't want nothing to do with and the vice yeah. versa the u.s don't want nothing to do with a band
0: like that T-Rex. is interesting because of the the glitter rock movement you know bowie was able to bring that glitter rock thing to the u.s with uh, ziggy stardust yeah and then it died out and right around that time was when Southern rock got big and then hard rock started getting big too. Yeah. So you can see why Mark Bowman was probably like, what the fuck? I got to, you know, I got to go back to the UK now.
3: Right. Because after David because Bowie, then it became more blue collar stuff, you know, hard work and rock yeah. and roll. That's what the people like. The Skinner, the Foghat, the well, Kiss, even Bowie, you know. Even
0: Bowie abandoned the whole glitter thing.
3: Yeah, totally. All right, still in August here in the United States, huge news. A president has to resign. Yeah, talking about I'm not a crook, Richard Nixon. Tricky Dick. Yeah, he resigns. Gerald Ford is sworn in. I don't know all the details. None of it it really rocks very much, but you know what does rock? One of the greatest bands to ever come out of Canada. I want to talk to you. About Bachman Turner Overdrive. BTO. They are at the peak of their powers in nineteen seventy four and they're back with their third studio album, Not Fragile. Man, I love this album. It's kind of a poke at the light music of Yes, who had previously released an album called Fragile.
0: Oh, no kidding. I didn't oh, yeah, know that. Yeah. <laughs>
3: so then BTO is like, Well, we're we we're got not fragile. We got balls. We're not fragile. We're not like, yes, we're not fragile. Featuring the guitar duo of Randy Bachman and Blair Thornton, Bobby Bachman on drums, and C.F. Turner on bass and lead vocals, Not Fragile is one awesome album with songs like, of course, the huge hit, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, Roll On Down the Highway. Love that song. And one of my all-time favorite guitar riffs, the title track. You know, of course, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet was a huge number one hit single. Number one in the U.S. and in Canada. Not bad for a song that wasn't even intended to make the album, huh? That's true. Yeah, it wasn't even supposed to be on there, but it became like their their biggest song ever. This album totally stands the test of time as BTO's highest selling album. And still, to this day, it sounds great. The whole album is really, really good. I love BTO. I just don't think they get enough credit. And as we already established, you know, in a little bit earlier and in part one, the UK, they don't give a shit about Bachman Turner Overdrive. I don't know. It's funny, man. You know, what side would you be on in, in 74, the U.K. or the U.S.? Uh, I know pr- I definitely would be on the side of the U.S. I
0: think I'd probably be on part of the U.K. because I was into the power pop movement. Yeah. You know? so, although I like both. I mean, I don't know. I, I'd probably be listening to both. But I guess power pop would probably rule out for me.
3: I think everybody should own Not Fragile by BTO. It's a good record. Oh, so good.
0: Uh, so before we go into break, I want to play my next pick. And it was a, by a, a four studio album by this space rock band, a band called Hawkwind, and this was their most critically acclaimed album. The title was a nod to. Edvard Krieg's In the Hall of the Mountain King. The album was called Hall of the Mountain Grill. and uh, I was wondering if that was a typo. <laughs> no, no. It's a, real, it's a real title. Okay, wow. It was uh, about a Portobello Road cafe called the Mountain Grill, which is now closed. It was frequented by the band in the early 1970s. Okay, that makes sense now. But yeah, as we go into break, this tune would later be recorded by Motorhead. But in 1974, it was a very early rare vocal by an unknown bassist named Lemmy Me Killmeister.
1: lately Uh uh-huh with this shortage that shortage i'm going through a money shortage (laughs) that's not funny so when i'm hungry i head for the old golden arches example i get a hamburger regular fries and coca-cola for less than a dollar thanks today getting mileage out of my money is important and at mcdonald's i do i believe it besides i'm a nut about french fries Thursday nights with our guys 10-4, Chopper 1 Special cops who do their job in a special way Chopper 1 The men of Engine Company 23 On call to save lives Firehouse Kane, hey, the most unlikely hero the West has ever known Kung Fu Mike Stone And Steve Keller Putting things right on the streets of San Francisco Every Thursday night On ABC ABC
3: Taking a quick break from our trip back in time to 1974. We got to gas up the DeLorean. Check out the flux capacitor, and we'll get right back to it. But before we do, of course, as always, we want to thank everybody that supports the Decibel Geek Podcast. We know, obviously, there's people leaving us five-star iTunes reviews. We love you. Thank you. There's people that are sharing and retweeting our episodes every single week to become honored geeks of the week. Thank you. You know, there's people that go to HK Collectibles, Inc. Yeah, it's easy. There's a banner right at decibelgeek.com. All you got to do is click on it, and you're going to find all kinds of awesome stuff. Now, let me tell you what he's got going on over there right now, because this is a little something for the Kiss fans that I think everybody's really going to dig. Right now, over at HK Collectibles, Inc., this week, he's got tickets from the Animalize Tour in Indianapolis. He's got tickets from the Asylum Tour in Pittsburgh and in Knoxville as well as Fraley's Comet ticket stub and a backstage pass from St. Louis in 1987. You tell me, where are you going to get this stuff?
0: That's pretty cool.
3: HK Collectibles, Inc. He's got it. You want a -a one-of-a-kind gift to give to an Ace Fraley fan? Look at that. Put that stuff in a a frame. frame. Give it to him. What's he going to say? Oh, man, I already got one of these. No. No, hell no, he ain't going to say that. He's going to say, holy shit, where did you get this? You're going to say, my boys at the Decibel Geek Podcast told me to go to HK Collectibles, Inc., and that's where I got it. And happy birthday. And so you turn around, you look at everybody else, say, top that. That's right. Good luck. Just like our iTunes review. Absolutely. <laughs> we thank everybody that supports HK Collectibles because we're good friends with Daryl Albert. We like what he's doing over there. He, he has stuff in his store that is perfectly made for the people that listen to the show. So it goes hand-in-hand hand beautifully. We appreciate and love everybody that goes to decibelgeek.com, especially the people that buy their T-shirts. Talking about T-shirts. Oh, man. Have you seen the latest video from that awesome band that we love called Rebel Few? I have. Holy and, shit. And that
0: powerful and attractive bass player they have.
3: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I knew they rocked, but I did not know they were so fashionable.
0: Very fashionable.
3: Bass player. In the official video of their brand new song, I implore you to go check it and out. I'll
0: put a link in the show notes
3: for you. Yeah, it. most definitely do that because everybody's got to see this. That awesome bass player in that awesome band... I was, I'm just like, this song is so good. Wait, what's that? Holy shit, that guy's wearing a Decimal Geek t-shirt.
0: As well as uh, the guys in the other another great Canadian band, Love Razor. We've played Love Razor on the show. Their uh, singer, Sidney Snow, is uh, wearing uh, one of our shirts the, uh, at one of their recent shows. Singer, lead singer of the band, yeah. wearing it bass
3: player in the official video. we a
0: a great song by them called uh, First Class Bitch. Oh,
3: man. Love Love Razor is awesome. Those guys are playing the kind of music that I love. Me too. You want to be cool like these guys? It's simple. Go to decibelgeek.com, order yourself up a t-shirt. There's all different kinds of Colors, designs, you can pretty much make it almost any way you want to, pretty pretty much. much. All kinds of designs. Pick your colors, pick your design, and make it happen. And wear it to a show and get your picture taken with rock stars. And we will share it on our website. We'll share it on our Facebook. We will show the world what an awesome rock and roll fan you are and what a good friend of the show you are while you're at decibelgeek.com. You noticed, I don't even need to tell you, there's articles there. There's articles written by rock and roll journalists that know what the hell's going on They care about what's going on, and they support, and they help the music that we love shine. They do. They help it shine so the world can see it, you know, because sometimes it's not enough to hear it. There's bands out there putting out music right now that could be your new favorite band, Mm -hmm. but you will never know. How would you know? You're hanging out in your town wherever you're at. You think, hmm, wonder if there's anything cool new in the world of rock and roll. Let me turn on my local rock station. Nope, same old shit. You're never going to find nothing new just hanging out. You go to decibelgeek.com, you read those reviews, the concerts, the albums, everything that's going on, the news stories, you know, some of our favorite bands right now have got some crazy stuff going on and it's it's being covered on Decibel Geek. Have you guys seen the Angels in Vain stuff? <clears throat> oh boy. Crazy crazy stuff read it and decide for yourselves VIP that's all we can say really about that about vip that. yeah we had a big long conversation about that <laughs> on vip just now so stuff yeah stuff that
0: i can't say publicly
3: right yeah no well, the vips get to hear it they do. so that's the beauty of becoming a vip
0: hey speaking of
3: becoming a vip it's really easy we yep. make it simple for you there's all different kinds of levels everything from what a dollar a month yeah A dollar a month will get you in the door. A little bit more than that will get you a little bit more. A little bit more than that will get you a little bit more. Pretty soon, you're getting the Chris and Aaron show. You're getting things like Farm Rock Adventures. You're getting Aaron Camaro calling wrestling matches live to tape. I mean, (laughs) there's there's all kinds of cool, crazy extra stuff that the VIPs get that nobody else is privy to. And let me tell you, just based off this very last episode of the Chris and Aaron show, if you're not a VIP, you are missing out. You're it's good. stuff I wish we could just talk about on the regular show, but we that's not that's for our friends. We share that stuff with our friends because we know they won't go around blabbing it. All for the price of a cup of coffee. You could help two sorry bastards right. sitting in an unconditioned conditioned oh, studio
0: sweating their asses off. You could help. Children in Africa are great. <laughs> but these Don't two, say it. Uh, I'm not going to put myself <laughs> ahead of it. I don't want to welcome that karma. I mean, never mind. Although we are sweating as much as one
3: of them children in the commercial right that's now. All right. All but we're walk, rocking our way through it. you're getting
0: good sound quality out of it, and that's why we're doing it. We suffer for you. We do.
3: Okay. <laughs> but also. Speaking of all that, you know, you're already at decibelgeek.com. You're done commenting on Facebook. You know, everybody does that for fun. But when you want to get down to business, it's decibelgeek.com. Why? Well, for many reasons, but a big important one is right there at the top of the page. It is our official Amazon banner. You say, hey, Aaron and Chris, I shop on Amazon all the time. Why should I take the time to go to your website first and click on that banner when I could just go to Amazon just the regular old boring way? Why would you want to do that? Because if you go to our link... What you're doing is you're doing the same Amazon shopping. The same products are available to you. Everything's exactly the same, right down to how much you pay for whatever you're buying. Now, the beautiful thing about it is after you've made your purchase and paid the exact price that you knew you were going to pay for your product, no matter what it is, it could be anything. They, Amazon, because they love us and they love rock and roll, they want to help Decibel Geek out. So what they do is they take a piece of their action not yours, theirs, and they kick it over to Decibel Geek Podcast. Why? Because you came through our website to go there. So now look back at the whole situation. You did your shopping. You got what you wanted, whether it was just on Amazon or through HK Collectibles, Inc. Now, when you made your purchase, you didn't pay anything extra. There's no hidden charges, no hidden fees, no bullshit whatsoever, and Amazon is helping us. So you're helping us be helped by Amazon, and it costs you nothing. Yep. And the beautiful thing about it is we get the super cool list every single week that tells us what's been bought
0: through our link. Yeah, and I'm a little late doing this. So I, I took what the last week because I've got other stuff going on. But uh,
3: We said we weren't going to do it, but we're doing it anyway. Well, I'm not so. doing the
0: whole list of the last three weeks because okay. it'll take me an hour
3: to do it. Oh, this. that's the next whole episode. But no,
0: you guys have done great, and we've had some pretty interesting stuff bought in the last week. Uh, including glare filters for LCD monitors and a Swiss Gear computer backpack. That's pretty cool. Okay. A Norpro tomato corer. Tomato? Did you know you could core a tomato? Core a tomato. What? Do, do you need to core a tomato? Should we be coring our tomatoes? Whoever bought the Norpro tomato corer apparently thinks so.
3: I trust people who shop through the Decimal Geek podcast. So thank you for buying that. I, I didn't know I needed it. I'm going to get one too now. Maybe I should. I'm scared.
0: Maybe we should have a whole run on Norpro tomato corers on our website.
3: Maybe. We could be their, their number They could one. be our sponsor. They could be our sponsor. Norpro. That's it. Norpro. Norpro presents Decibel Geek Podcast. The weakest part of the tomato. It's got to go. That's it right. doesn't rock as much as the rest.
0: That's true on dvd somebody is an 80s movies fan, movies fan because they bought police academy one through seven the complete collection on blu-ray right on that's the dream, awesome the dream team that's a really underrated comedy that's a, it's good, a movie. good movie I remember that yep. oh man i Michael gotta go Keaton. watch it yeah yeah peter boyle's hilarious in that movie uh the great outdoors that was one of my favorite movies that's as another a kid. great one Hell and yeah. the money pit which is, uh, is a hilarious movie with Tom Hanks in it. Those
3: are all hilarious movies yeah, right there.
0: Somebody has really good taste in movies.
3: Lips and assholes.
0: <laughs> in music, uh, just a couple of purchases this week. Led Zeppelin's Physical Graffiti was bought and Black Sabbath's Sabbath Bloody Sabbath.
3: Well, that's not a whole lot of music on that list, but if you're you going to make it count, count, that's the way to do it <laughs> because everybody should own those albums. That's right. Awesome. There you go. Now you guys got the rundown on everything we got going on, and I think you're ready to get back to 1974. But before we get into the rock and roll, let's talk about the movies in 1974 because there were some really good ones that came out that year. Let's start with the top 10. At number 10 of the top grossing movies of 1974,
0: Benji. (laughs) I was a huge fan of that movie as a child.
3: Yeah. Yeah. These These are all kind of movies that I think people our age or close to it probably remember seeing it well, when VHS oh, first and VH- came and out. I remember at the, being like at years the, later. the
0: video store and begging my parents every time we go to the video store to rent Benji for me. Yeah? And them rolling their eyes going, "We really have to oh watch God, fucking Benji, Benji again. again. <laughs> so, yeah. You yeah.
3: kids don't know nothing about dogs. When I was young, we had Lassie,
0: Benji. And, and Rin 1010 <laughs> Yeah. Benji was good back in the day.
3: Coming in at number nine, The Longest Yard.
0: That's a good movie. Classic. Much better than the Sandler version. I don't know. The Sandler version was pretty good, yeah.
3: but you can't beat Burt Reynolds.
0: Burt Reynolds is the
3: best. Yeah, he is. Number eight, Life and Times of Grizzly Adams.
0: Never saw it.
3: Uh, number seven, Airport, 1975. George Kennedy. Yeah, that was a disaster movie.
0: There was a lot of those back then.
3: Yeah, that we'll see another one coming up on this list. Uh, number six, The Godfather Part Two. Yep. Classics. Uh, number five, here's another disaster movie, Earthquake. Mm-hmm. This is we get that one in the sky, one on the ground. Number four, one of the probably the greatest movies of all time, maybe one of the funniest most definitely, Young Frankenstein.
0: Oh, I love that movie.
3: Oh man, that that movie. That movie stands the test of time. I can put that on right now, and I don't know how many times I've seen it in my life, more than a few, but it'll make me laugh every time. Even
0: just for the just for the scene with him and with Peter Boyle and Gene Hackman with the fire. That alone is the, one of the best parts of movie history.
3: It makes me laugh just thinking about it. All right, so at number three, this one was weird. I had to look this up a little bit and see what it was. The Trial of Billy Jack. You, do you know anything
0: about that? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've ever watched it.
3: It's, it was a series of movies back in the day based on this badass dude named Billy Jack. And I think he was a Native American who stood up for the rights of hippies. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't afraid to kill people that messed with hippies. So it's Charles Manson. Maybe. Yeah. So he had his own movie. Another disaster movie in 1974, The Towering Inferno. People
0: were paranoid in 1974. (laughs) I
3: mean, but otherwise maybe things were going so good in 74 that they had Had to to manufacture manufacture some fear and some crisis. We
0: live in a time now where you get it in real life.
3: And the number one movie in 1974, another one, probably you'd have to put this right up there with the funniest movies of all freaking time. Blazing saddles
0: would not be released nowadays. Oh no, uh, no, way no, too politi- no, Politically incorrect. That's funny. You think about something
3: like that and say, "Oh, it was before its time." No, it was just at the right time. There was a small window there for stuff like that. People still had a. And that was 1974. That's like all the racial stuff kind of died down there for a minute before it all ramped back up, and that was the only time you could have released that movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Hilarious, though. Other movies released in 1974, the first Death Wish. Those are classics. Foxy Brown, we heard the commercial for that in part one. I love that, that commercial. That was awesome. <laughs> the classic Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Oh, of
0: course. Yeah, everyone's seen that
3: one. You know, sitting right next to Benji on the racks at the VHS stores
0: many years later, Herbie rides again. Yeah, I love I wanted a Volkswagen just for that reason. <laughs> yeah.
3: This fucking thing don't work. It ain't driving itself nowhere. It has yeah, no personality. What the hell's going on here? You sold me a piece of garbage.
0: Yep, bait and switch.
3: I want a living car. Uh, also in '74, "The Man with the Golden Gun," some 007. My mm-hmm. favorite James Bond, the Roger Moore James Bond. He was oh. he was my dude. Oh, okay, I liked him the best. Still to this day. Uh, of course, then we got the uh, the Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat. Mm-hmm.
0: I never saw that. No, you've never seen that. Never seen.
3: Oh man, Chris, you got to see that. You got to see that movie.
0: Thing of commentary on Fritz the Cat.
3: We should do that because it's been forever since I've seen it. But you've (laughs) got to see it. And in 1974, the very first installment, probably the craziest one of them all, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Tobey
0: Hooper classic.
3: That's a scary movie because it's (laughs) it's like a a horror movie that's kind of mixed with a reality show almost because the way it's filmed, it all seems very real and very likely easy to happen to any poor, hapless people that would fall into a situation like that. The
0: fact that it's so cheaply filmed just adds to how scary it is.
3: Yeah, that really does. It really does. It was
0: on one Halloween night. I got my wife to watch it with me and she got about... 20 minutes in and she's like i can't deal with it i was like what she's like it's just too fucking scary so we had to turn it off
3: like hang on let's right. put it in part two it's way funnier yeah
0: i, was like, <laughs> I said yeah i was like the, the saddest part is this is the best one yeah you know, everything else after kind of sucked okay so we're into september now yeah and uh the next news story on september 1st this has a bit of a personal connection to me the SR-71 Blackbird sets and holds the record for flying from New York to London in an hour and 54 minutes and 56.4 seconds. Wow. The reason this has a um, fast. personal connection is my father, a military policeman, when my parents first got married around 1969 and when they first moved into Florida around 1970, the Blackbird was a brand new plane. hmm and it was stationed at Eglin Air Force Base where my dad was stationed. And my dad was one of the first people to ever guard the SR-71 Black. Nice. And he used to love telling the story about how he would he snuck my mom in to, to actually get to sit in it one night. Oh, really? Yeah. While, oh, wow. While he was guarding it. But, yeah, it was – if you guys hadn't – because it's out of commission now. It's been out of commission for like 15 years. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, you need to go on Google and look up pictures of this thing because it's one of the coolest looking planes ever created. It is such a cool looking, it looks like a damn, like an alien space plane. It's just so nice. cool. And it, for and fast. for decades, it was the fastest plane on the planet. That's very cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Heck yeah. Oh, September 15th. Gary Thane from Uriah Heap is shocked on stage at the Moody Coliseum in Dallas, Texas and is seriously injured. So see, Kiss can't do anything originally. Well, I mean, they even rip off electrocutions.
3: (laughs) Ace Fraley wasn't the first.
0: Yep. Then he went on to write this. He
3: stole Gary Thane's gimmick.
0: He wrote this song called I Got Shocked, and then, you know, the rest is history. It's heapstery.
3: Oh, man. Sorry.
0: Well, I guess that rocks us into September, so that
3: brings us up to a very important moment in rock and roll history. I'm talking about the 1974 debut album by Judas Priest. But, you know, it's not really that much of a Priest album at all, if you Mm -hmm. listen to it. At least not the way we imagine Judas Priest today. Instead, what you get is K.K. Downing, Ian Hill, and drummer John Hinch with two brand-new members to the band by the names of Rob Halford and Glenn Tipton. They're basically reworking and recording a lot of songs by the former frontman and band originator Al Atkins. And this guy had a totally different vision... Of what the band was gonna become. Yeah. And it was way different than what we've come to know and love. So Rockarola gets little love or attention upon its release, and even with the notoriety of famous Sabbath producer Roger Bain, it doesn't do nothing. You know, the songs, they're just not... We know Priest. We love Priest, and this is not Priest. I mean, look at this. Songs rejected from the album. The Ripper, Victim of Changes, and Tyrant. I
0: love The Ripper.
3: Right. Those are songs that I consider Judas Priest classics. There's not a whole lot on this album... That you would really consider to be a Priest classic. It's not a good representation of the band. I'm not a
0: fan of this album.
3: No, but it is a nice snapshot of the times and their weird hippie clothes they were wearing (laughs) back then.
0: Yeah, Rob looked interesting in this era.
3: You know, but it showed potential. I mean, if you don't look at it as a priest album, there's actually some pretty good stuff on there. It's you good know? for what it is, but yeah, know, it's definitely
0: not what they would become. Although no. Al Atkins did did write "Victim of Changes," so yeah, I mean, he good wrote good a lot actors. of
3: that stuff off that first album, and yeah. you know, it does show the potential to maybe someday become. Metal gods? Yeah, but yeah. It's, them,
0: it, it, it's kind of an interesting snapshot of where they were at the time.
3: Most definitely.
0: So, uh, my next pick, the Raspberries on September 16th release, starting over, uh, their fourth studio album. The album only peaked at 143 on Billboard. It generated a number 18 hit with Overnight Sensation. Uh, John Lennon, who was a Raspberries fan, particularly liked that song. He was present for part of the recording of the album and although he's not credited on the LP is said to have assisted in the mix including Overnight Sensation. John
3: Lennon's all over the place in 1974. Big
0: music fan. Um, while that's a cool little factoid I dislike that song <laughs> and uh, I chose to spin this tune instead it's called I Don't Know What I Want. Contains a bit more of an arena sound, but also a lot of more softer ballads, which Eric Carmen would become later known for doing a lot more ballads. Yes, stuff. he would. But uh, yeah, that was kind of the end of the line for the Raspberries. Yeah, 74 is a weird year
3: for a lot of upheaval and changes in bands and stuff, but you know, we're on the cusp of some really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely.
3: Ronnie Wood started his rock and roll career back in England in the 60s as a member of the Birds. No, not the California Mister Tambourine spelled with a Y. Birds. These were the ones from the UK that was actually spelled correctly. And then in nineteen seventy or nineteen sixty-seven, he becomes the bass player in the Jeff Beck Group and is on the uh, Truth and Beckola albums. Great albums. Yeah. So from there, you know, he helps form the Faces with mm-hmm. Rod Stewart and members of the Small Faces. Lovely. After releasing four albums, he begins to collaborate with the Rolling Stones. But by 1974, Ronnie Woods just got to say, I've got my own album to do. Literally. Because that's the name of the album. I've got my own album to do. Poor guy. Everybody's coming to him going, hey, come play on this. Come help me write that. You know, in return for helping him write and record, it's only rock and roll. But I like it. Both Keith Richards and Mick Jagger appear on the album, along with Mick Taylor, George Harrison, Rod Stewart, and David Bowie.
0: This mm. guy's popular. I have to check this album out because I've never listened to it. It's weird. Is
3: it weird? It's weird. It's <laughs> weird. Let me tell you, it's got appearances by George Harrison, Rod Stewart, and David Bowie. It's weird. (laughs) But there is some pretty cool stuff on there, too. Um, Shortly after recording this album, Ronnie would replace Taylor as the second guitarist in The Stones, and there he would stay. Absolutely. But he's come out with other solo stuff over the years and appeared on God knows how many albums with other people over the years. But he's the guy, man.
0: He's the dude in The Stones. Absolutely. Heck yeah, I like it. And then, if you haven't guys, if you haven't picked up the Small Faces stuff, that's really worth your time because it's amazing rock music. Okay, so we're into October now.
3: Talking about bands, you know, big cusp's of changes in rock and roll, things that are really going to bode big for the future.
0: Yeah, October fifth was a big day because ACDC performs its first official show with Bon Scott as its new singer,
3: and the world changes for the better. Yeah. The
0: Alice Cooper band officially breaks up.
3: Right. But Alice Cooper, Vince Fernier
0: goes on to keeps
3: the name. Solo success. Yeah, meets up with Bob Ezrin and then goes on to do all kinds of cool stuff with Dick Wagner. Dick Wagner and too. The other uh, rest of the band they end up forming the Billion Dollar Babies and do their thing. Um you know, and nowadays there's still a lot of big call for people that would want what's left of that band to reunite, you know, which they kind of did on Welcome to they, My Nightmare. Well,
0: and Alice said that they're um they're writing together for the next Alice album. Nice. Not necessarily the whole thing, but right. they're at least going to do a few songs.
3: Kind of like they did on the other one. Yeah, That's cool, man. I like that. Very good.
0: Uh So, on October 11th, uh, Montrose releases Paper Money, their second studio album. It would be their final recording with Sammy Hagar. And produced by Ted Templeman, this album is not nearly as good as the debut, and the songs are weaker as well as the production, but the album ends on a high note with the title track.
2: I play the game of the rich boy. I'm
0: Sammy would see the writing was on the wall because Ronnie decided to go soft rock, basically, to yeah. get try to get commercial success, but they never equaled that first Montrose record, which is a classic.
3: See, and that's kind of the thing you're seeing in 1974, where with a lot of these year reviews we do, there's a good change and a good flux going on where like the bands like Mountain and Foghat and these other bands that are kind of over their peak right now, coming down, are making room for bands like KISS and Aerosmith, you know, bands like that to to come in and explode.
0: Well, and don't get me wrong, there's, I can't remember the name of the song, there's a song on that Montrose record that even sounds kind of sabbathy, but the majority of it is them trying to be real commercial, and it doesn't work. And I mean, Sammy was smart to leave that band, honestly.
3: Yeah, for his own career, for sure. Alright, well here's one for you. Here's something completely different than that. Here's a band, their are UK favorites, not really that well known in the States. We know them here on the Decibel Geek podcast. I'm talking about the sensational Alex Harvey band. Right, man. These guys have been shocking audiences since 1964 and are still going strong a decade later with their seventh studio album, The Impossible Dream. I
2: can't get enough, I can't get enough, I can't get enough, I can't get enough. Show me sure. yeah.
3: That's another example of a band that's virtually unknown in the U.S., but very appreciated in the U.K. and in Europe. Wait, except for in Cleveland, Ohio. The sensational Alex Harvey band Mm in 1974, the Kings of Cleveland, Ohio. They play a show at the Agora Ballroom. And after that, the local rock station, WMMS, is just flooded with requests to play the band's music on the radio Ah. because just like they did in Europe... They're shocking people. They're blowing minds. They come to Cleveland, they blow people away.
0: i got to give Cleveland credit. Because, I mean, Cleveland broke Rush. Yeah? And, I mean, that's another example of how in tune with rock music Cleveland is.
3: Well, even especially back then when they had places like the Agora Ballroom, Mm -hmm. and that's a very, very important place throughout the history of rock and roll of the kind of bands that we like to talk about here on Decibel Geek. That place is very historic and has showcased many of our favorite bands that we've played on here and broke a lot of them, too, like in the case with Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Very cool stuff, man. Very underrated. I think people should go back and check it out because – you know, we kind of make fun of the U.S. versus U.K. thing in 1974, but that's one where the U.K. definitely had something that we were missing. Well, it, was, it was above our heads in 74. Yeah, and
0: Alex Harvey died really young, so I mean, like, yeah. there's no telling what kind of output he could have had had he lived longer, you know.
3: But there was bands
0: in the U.S. like, I don't know, KISS, uh-huh. seeing a little something out of that band and going, hmm. Jeansy and the bass player going, I could dress like that guy yeah. in about 10 years. Um, just look at the videos where'd you I'm get saying. that wig yeah. alright so on October 18th this is a weird story Al Green is attacked in the shower by his girlfriend she scalds his body with a pan of boiling grits and Ouch. commits suicide a few, mon- few moments later what? how fucked up is that?
3: now hold on a second baby I know you got a big old pan of hot grits right there baby but listen to me Don't throw that shit at me.
0: You ain't singing Let's Stay Together after that shit. That's some kind of crazy
3: party gone wrong right there.
0: That is crazy. I mean, and he wound up leaving music and becoming a preacher. Not long after all this. Well, I'm, yeah. Imagine, you know,
3: I'm I'm guessing probably drugs and alcohol uh, involved. Most likely,
0: you know, 1974.
3: We're talking about. He was probably living the life, and Jeez.
0: and yeah, that. But I saw that in the research, and I was like, well, we have to mention this.
3: Yeah, because it's insane. Because that's
0: insane. <laughs> you
3: should never play with a pan of boiling grits. Probably a bad idea. But you know what was fun to play with in 1974? Mm. The most metal of all toys ever tonka trucks yes
0: because they doubled as weapons
3: they totally did you could kill somebody with a tonka oh i truck. whacked
0: a few kids over the head with them
3: like if we were caught in the zombie apocalypse i would want a pickaxe a crossbow and a tonka dump truck because <laughs> you could do a
0: lot of damage <laughs> made with that. from solid steel with lots of lots of pointy edges yeah they were so unsafe for children it wasn't even funny i never knew nobody that accidentally got hurt with them no it was always intentional
3: also in 1974 <laughs> popular toys. the magic eight ball is yeah, huge in 74. Um, the Hasbro inchworm mm-hmm. it was a riding toy. you guys know what I'm talking I had about one of those too. The classic kids doctor kit, the little plastic suitcase with the little stethoscope uh-huh. in it and had all the little doctor's tools in it kids started playing doctor in 1974 yeah they did uh you played the commercial for it in the first episode the odyssey electronic game that was pretty far ahead of its time yeah uh twister is big in 1974 there's a lot of board games that are really big in 74 Mm -hmm. that's the thing because there's really no video games already except for maybe that weird odyssey thing yeah so it's all board games so in 74 the biggest things that you can get battleship scrabble Mm -hmm. stratego risk sorry clue mm-hmm. and the game of life yep those are the freaking
0: games right there played many times all every one of those missing maybe what monopoly well, i mean monopoly's that, been big other since the other than monopoly those are the yeah. biggest
3: board games of all time right there Pretty and, much. and it was happening in 1974
0: yeah i've played all of those
3: also cool thing note on this in 1974 in a small town in wisconsin Dungeons and Dragons were created. Because
0: what else are you going to do when it's fucking six feet of snow
3: outside? Right. Also, the Rubik's Cube invented in 1974.
0: I gotcha. Heck yeah. So, let's see. We're in October, and uh, for Kiss fans, it's now the moment you've been waiting for for the next album.
3: It's a special treat to be doing 1974 as a Kiss fan because we get two Kiss albums.
0: Yes, Hotter Than Hell is released on October 22nd. It's Kiss's second studio album. Recorded at Village Recorder and the Dumpster Out Back, produced horribly by Kenny Kerner and Richie Wise.
3: Man, so good though. I
0: hate to talk shit about it, but I'm just being honest. This, uh, the in spite of the production, though, the band delivers, in my opinion, one of their best albums.
3: I think so. That's the beautiful thing about it. They overcome the shitty production. They absolutely did.
0: The production on this album is horrid. I don't care what anyone says. It was a failed experiment. They wanted to sound like Black Sabbath, and they dropped the ball. And from what I think I've heard, and this goes back to like interviews I heard years ago, I think I remember somebody, maybe Wise or Kerner, saying that they had done something with the Master Tapes to try to make it sound Sabbath-y with kind of a sludgy distortion, but they did it in a way to where they put the effect on, didn't like it, but couldn't go back and change it. Oh, no. And that's why it sounds the way that, that it does. Like it was Shit. something they did that they couldn't undo.
3: Yeah, like an accident. If only
0: they had audacity back in those days. Just hit the back button. Yeah. Why you, didn't they just hit the back button a undo. couple of times? Yeah. Jeez. But it's still a classic Kiss album, um, loaded with tons of material and mm-hmm. uh, including new material as well as some stuff refurbished from the Wicked Lester days. And the album also includes my favorite Ace Frehley pen tune, a song called Parasite. Of course, KISS would go back into the studio a few, just a few months later to work with Neil Bogart as producer for Dress to Kill on an album that sounded a lot better, but I would say this album had a lot more strong material than that one.
3: Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about that album. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The production is horrible, horrible. but the songs shine through the songs it. They really there. do. Absolutely. Gotta love it, man. KISS doubled up in 1974. What a great year. Absolutely. I mean, any year that you can get two KISS albums... It's got to be one of the greatest years ever. I
0: wish we could do that again.
3: Yeah, no kidding. they are talking about doing a new one. That'd be awesome. Yeah. With Ace and Peter? No. Oh.
0: (laughs) With Vinny Vincent. No, I'm just kidding.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you better quit with all that. All right, we're going to keep rocking. Here's something that's way different than KISS. This is way different than what KISS has got going on in 74. This year in review has been pretty cool because it's almost been like a tribute to albums that my dad had in the house when I was a little bitty kid. Yeah, I know this one here got a lot of spins in my young parents' home when I was little. Talking about the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, It'll Shine When It Shines. Here's something you may not know. Originally, they were named... Cosmic corn cob, <laughs> and his amazing Ozark Mountain Daredevils. They decided to shorten that.
0: I'm glad they did.
3: Probably because Cosmic Corncob would not work. There ain't nothing cool about Cosmic
0: Corncob. <laughs> Sounds like a sex toy.
3: It does. <laughs> we should invent that and sell it on decibelgeek.com. <laughs> there you go. The Cosmic Corncob. 10 In- inches long. Inspired by the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Jump on. <laughs> Jump on. I like that. In 1974, <laughs> they're riding the wave of the popularity of their debut album and the big hit single, If You Wanna Get to Heaven, dun, dun, dun. You Gotta Raise a Little Hell. And they return with this one. It's a pretty great album. You know, with Ozark Mountain Daredevil's man, to me, it's pretty nostalgic because it's it's stuff that I heard over and over and over when I was a little kid. And to see hear this stuff, it makes me feel good. Right. And of course, the big, big, huge hit single off that album, Jackie Blue. Yep. Song originally written about doing drugs. Oh, really? Yeah, almost left off the album. It, it reaches number three on the U.S. singles That'd charts. That'd be an
0: interesting topic to look into. How many songs that became hits were ones that were like last-minute additions to Like albums? more
3: than words, like extreme? Yeah, yeah the, for th-
0: sure. The, what that Songs they thought were throwaways.
3: Yeah, see, and we've already seen two of those at yeah, least today. It happens a lot. And it's like, okay, we'll bring us back one more song, and that's poppy. Well, here's this. We weren't going to put it on. That's a hit.
0: Yep, and it becomes a massive hit.
3: Yeah. it's This is 74, so it is the height of popularity for the southern rockers from Missouri, Ozark Mountain Daredevils. That's cool.
0: I like them. It's, I know it's weird, but I like them a lot. Speaking of hits, a lot of hits are being dished out on October 30th. Muhammad Ali... Knocks out George Foreman in the eighth round in Kinshasa, Zaire. The Rumble in the Jungle. The Rumble in the Jungle. See, I knew it. We were talking about that in part one, and I was like, I think there was some kind of big boxing thing that happened. That was a big one. (laughs) And that was it. One of the biggest boxing matches of all time. Absolutely. And uh, before we go into the second break, I got my next pick here. There's an album that came out in 1974 called The Mirror, and it's an album by a British band called Spooky Tooth. This was the first Spooky Tooth album to be released without contributions from Mike Harrison. It was also their last album for nearly 25 years, which they eventually put out an album called Cross Purpose in 1999. It was released in October of 74, one month after the group members had permanently disbanded. They went on to form such bands as Foreigner and The Only Ones. While their main claim to fame is the connection to Judas Priest's cover of Better By You, Better Than Me, and the unfortunate fallout from the court case, you'll hear some great music from their albums.
2: margarine the big one pound bowl butter parquet i use the bowls for leftovers and things butter parquet mm! light creamy <laughs> butter <laughs>
1: parquet
2: isn't that what i said
1: parquet margarine in the one pound bowl from Kraft. the flavor says butter ah. I'd know that tongue,
2: anywhere. What a sound. Maybe it's only rock and roll, but I like
1: it. You'll like it, too. The latest release from the Rolling Stones. It's only rock and roll. On Rolling Stones Records and Tapes.
3: brings us into November of 1974. We're rocking pretty hard so far. All this has been really good. Um, in 74, after losing Michael Schenker to UFO, Close Mine and Rudy Schenker are forced to regroup. They merge with the band Dawn Road, featuring Uli John Roth, but they keep the Scorpion's name and return to the studio to create a follow-up to 1972's Lonesome Crow. They're looking for a harder sound than what they achieved on the debut, and the result is 1974's Fly to the Rainbow. I love that Uli
0: John Roth stuff, huh? I love the music. That era. Have you seen the album cover? The album cover's retarded. It's terrible. Yeah, it's there's yeah. Even the band hates it.
3: Yeah, I know. I think I read something where Uli John Roth. They said, "Can you explain that?" He's like, "I don't know. I can't. I (laughs) I don't. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. I think it's stupid." It's
0: like a monkey wearing a welder's mask on top of a plane.
3: On top of, like, a couple of little planes. Yeah. Like, he's giant, but they're Holding little. Holding a
0: flag that says Flight of the Rainbow. <laughs> it's, so weird. It's such a bizarre cover. Oh, man. Uh, speaking of bizarre, on November 13th, the Amityville Horror Murders take place. Yeah. The DeFeo that would, family.
3: Right, and that, that in turn creates the, the haunted story of the house. And, and the
0: movies and books and all yeah, that shit. There's a
3: lot of controversy with that. There's I tried to do a little research on that to try Did to you? talk about it, but you really can't say anything about it because everything's kind of weird and up in the air about it.
0: There's one weird uh, Kiss tie-in that some people wonder about. Really? They were playing... Around the time that these murders took place was around the time that Kiss was playing at the Daisy in Amityville. Okay. Oh, yeah, which okay. Which was a club out there. And that club was literally like a mile away from where the house is. And Ron, Ronald DeFeo, the one that killed his family, I think it's kind of well known he was a big rock and roll fan. Yeah. It's very possible that Ronald DeFeo was at some of those Kiss shows.
3: That would make sense.
0: How creepy is that?
3: That's weird. Wow. Maybe
0: Kiss caused him to go over the edge. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So, uh, on November 8th, Thin Lizzy comes out with Nightlife, their fourth studio album produced by Ron Nevison and Phil Lineup. Of course, Ron Nevison, Kiss fans will know from Crazy Nights, and Ozzy fans will know from uh, Bark at the Moon. Yeah. This was the first album with the Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson lineup, which was considered by many the classic lineup of the band. This song, composed solely by Phil, shows the new path the band was headed in, and this is a song called It's Only Money. Only money would wind up being covered about 35 years later by Robbo on one of his solo albums, and uh, this nightlife is an interesting album in their career because it it show it's a strange thing because Scott Gorham I think has even mentioned in interviews where like one song would be kind of a rockier song with good solos, and the next thing yeah. would be this laid back jazzy thing, and he's like, "What the fuck kind of band are we supposed to be?" There's a lot of that going on yeah. in
3: '74. We've seen that with a lot of these bands so far, and, where you know, like.
0: There was back like then. transitional.
3: Back then, there was a lot of filler on albums. It seems like, yeah, you know, more than than like other eras of music where it's like you really wanted to bang it all out and have every song be good. But in the seventies, like the early seventies, like these bands are coming out with albums where it's like there's three or four really great songs on here, and the rest of it's all really kind of weird and strange and doesn't sound like you what you'd expect. Right as is kind of the case with this next one. I'm talking about the originators of the dual guitar harmony attack. Yeah, they're back in 1974. I'm talking about Wishbone Ash. Yep. And they're coming back with their fifth studio album, and it's called There's the Rub. This is a band that's kind of, they're they're doing things different too. They're kind of flirting with prog rock a little bit on this album, as most of the tracks on the album are over six minutes long. It's an underrated album. ...by an underrated band, and There's the Rub features rocking tunes like Lady J, Silver Shoes, that classic, Fucked Up Beyond Belief, and Don't Come Back... 88 in the US, number 16 in the UK and kind of marks the beginning of a sliding in popularity for the band. And, you know, they really after that kind of dropped off a little bit, but they mm-hmm. remained relevant enough to release 24 studio albums over the years. Wow, that's amazing. It's only been a couple of years since they had their last one.
0: Well, that's that's pretty incredible.
3: So Wishbone Ash, you thought they died in 74? No. Still doing it. They've been around this whole time and are still out there doing it somewhere.
0: That's awesome. Heck yeah. So, on November 22nd, Helen Morgan resigns the Miss World title. This is the first woman to ever
3: have to resign the title of Miss World. Now, she started out in the UK, and then she went through everything and won the whole Miss World competition. Mm -hmm. And then they found out her deep, dark secret. (gasps) She's an unwed mother. Oh, yeah? All that. She had to resign her crown in 1974 because she was an unwed mother. Wow. The
0: shame. Boy, things have changed. Yeah, no kidding. So different. That is wild. That is wild. How conservative. And then on November 28th, uh, John Lennon joins Elton John on stage at Madison Square Garden for three songs. It would be his last stage performance ever. Wow,
3: man. 74. I'm 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 glad John Lennon was out there having a good time in 1974 because it's like he comes up in every other news story. Yeah,
0: he's, he was around, you know, getting thrown out of clubs and going yeah. to concerts. Um, okay right so, there to
3: laugh when Nixon got had to resign. Yeah.
0: Ah-ha. I've got a couple more picks. Uh Slade came out with Slade in Flame on November 29th. It was a soundtrack album to the film of the same name that came out. Went to number 6 on the UK charts. The album was a bit of a departure as the movie was about a fictional 60s band so they were kind of aiming for that sound. <laughs>
2: I've it things I never
0: Some cool songs on the album, like that one there, So Far So Good. Uh, That was a bit of a departure, but uh, Slade, man, had a big year in 74, a lot of chart success.
3: Yeah, very cool, man. I like Slade. All right, we're almost to the end here in 1974, but man, you know, much like Kiss, here's a double dose of the new Deep Purple in 1974, when the band follows up their June release of Burn. That's awesome. They're back in November with Stormbringer. For a band that many had doomed to fail with the loss of Ian Gillen and Roger Glover, they're on one hell of a roll creating albums that are arguably as good as, if not better than what the classic lineup had been doing. Yep. There are so many great songs on this album that I would just basically read you the entire track listing if I was to list them all. I feel like this album is just a must-have for all rock fans. <laughs> Hughes and David Coverdale leading the charge. This album goes to number six in the UK, number 20 in the US, number two in Norway. The party wouldn't last long for these guys though, man. They had a good year in 1974 with this lineup. I'm glad they knocked it all out in one year because very soon this band is going to undergo another one of their well-known huge lineup changes with the departure of Richie Blackmore. Can you imagine? No. Richie Blackmore leaving Deep Purple. That makes no sense. But it happens.
0: Crazy stuff.
3: 74 was a good year for those guys, though. But, you know, the funny thing about this always is, and we do this every single time, yeah, we've talked a lot of good music here in the last couple of weeks when we were doing these year in review shows for 1974. But, as always, (laughs) you think it was all good? No, it was not. Let's look at the top five songs... Let's listen to What the Sheep Liked. ...of 1974. At number five, you got George McRae with Rock Your Baby. I don't even remember this song. I was just going to ask. Do you even know what that is? Nope. It must be one of those. If they played it, we'd be like, oh, yeah. Blech. Maybe.
0: At, at number four, Stevie Miller Band with The Joker. That's all right. was good that year, I'm it's sure, popular. but after 3,000 listens, not so much.
3: Yeah. Of course, in 1974, I mean, there's not a whole lot bigger than it, ABBA with Waterloo, the number three song of the year pretty much everywhere. I like some ABBA. Here's another one that I don't know. This one came from the UK in 1974, a band called Mud and uh-huh. a tune called Tiger Feet. I don't know this one at all. No Tiger Feet? I don't know that either. This has got to be another one that if they played it, we would be like, oh, yeah. Spotify
0: and listen to it. Oh, that
3: song. Mm-hmm. And the number one song of 1974 pretty much anywhere in the world you go, yeah. there is no song more well-written, more per- well-performed, or well-received that? than Carl Douglas's
0: oh, God.
3: Kung Fu Fighting.
0: I loved it as a kid, though. Of course, I as a kid, admit, it's I thought great. It was a great song as a kid. Now it's incredibly racist.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess I never really thought about that, but Those yeah, cats you're were right. Fast
0: as lightning, man.
3: <laughs> good stuff. 1974. You thought it was all good. Not so much. Yeah. You know, there was there was some pretty bad stuff going on That's in '74 you... too. But you know what? Looking at this list of the top songs of '74. It's not that bad. Mm -mm. I mean, even the bad songs aren't that bad. Kung Fu Fighting, I can deal with that. They at least
0: have a charm because they're so old now.
3: Maybe that's what it is. That's probably what it is. Because, I mean, you look at the list, I don't see anything on here that I absolutely just despise. Not really. But if we were doing, like, 94, there'd be all kinds of stuff on that list that would make me want to throw up than rather here.
0: Right. So, 74, you know what? It's been a fun year to cover.
3: It wasn't all good but it wasn't all bad either.
0: No, it's been it's been fun to visit it, and uh, of course, this is before my time, I wasn't even born yet. Right, me either. But. Um- yeah, it's been a lot of fun to cover, and I uh, hope you guys have gotten some information out of it, some education out of it, and some entertainment out of it.
3: And if you did, go ahead and share it. Please do. You know, or retweet it, or leave us a five-star iTunes review, or buy a t-shirt from us, or- All that good stuff. Su- you know, support our writers that are out there, you know? Just just help us out, because this is a lot of work, but we enjoy doing it because we know you enjoy it so much.
0: We have sweat equity into this show. Quite literally,
3: Quite literally tonight.
0: Literally, especially right now. Wow. Okay. So, I, got a, I have the play out song, and Geordie, uh, their second studio album, came out by this British glam band in uh, sometime in 74, I don't know when.
3: That's one of the weird things, like you don't know a whole Sometimes lot about Sometimes they don't
0: Jordy. have dates on release dates. This band was formed in 1972, and they had a rather unremarkable career. They did, however, have a very remarkable singer. Oh, yeah. And he sounds great on this track. This is Geordie featuring Brian Johnson, closing out 1974. With going down, and we'll see you next week. See you.
2: I'm going down to St. James Infirmary to see my.